Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Sort of time for, for our church in, in responding to of worshipping in spirit and in truth. Yeah? And we're going to look at the story of the woman of the well, which is basically the context to those verses about worship in spirit and in truth. And we'll look at the journey that Jesus takes her to get to a place of catching a glimpse of deep worship with God. So if you can open your Bible, if you haven't a Bible, otherwise you can just look at the screen, to John 4, verse 6 to 26. So it's quite a long passage, so I'll try to make it a bit entertaining. (laughs) Um, So, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, so give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I won't have to come, keep coming back here to draw water. Hmm? <laughs> he told her, go, call your husband and come back. Oh, I, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you, are now have, you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Hmm. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Hmm? The woman just replied, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. And they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and his worshippers must worship in Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Okay? I'll just have a pray and then we'll dig in. Okay, God, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you teach us your ways through it, Lord. Lord, I pray that um, your spirit will soften our hearts to, 
to your voice, Lord. I pray that whatever is from me doesn't get in the way of your, your truth and your word. Amen. So I found this story quite encouraging because it's a story about Jesus taking someone whose heart is in one place in terms of her views, her life experience, her faith, and he takes her to a place where she catches a glimpse of the depths of intimacy and power and restoration found in Jesus for a life of worship with the Father in spirit and in truth. It takes her from there to that place where she just catches a glimpse of that depths, that power that there is in Jesus and in worship of the Father. And I don't know about you, but when I think um, at my, if I look back at my long Christian life and I look at some of the time where God spoke, spoke the most powerfully, where I met with him and the Spirit of God like, revealed this truth to me, truth that I'd always heard but didn't make sense and things were alive and there were moments where God revealed stuff around my fears and around my past and brought restoration and brought hope. This moment of deep intimacy are some of the most precious and treasure time of my walk of faith. And I would say, like, even of my life, there's a depth of joy and contentment in that place of intimacy with God that is just so powerful and wonderful. And, and they're not to be once-in-a-lifetime experience. Yeah? They're not like, oh, you know, this is when that first love for God was there and I really heard God and now I'm sort of milking it for the rest of my life. This is not, this is not what we're called to. We're called to... Uh, that's the sort of level of depth of relationship with the Father and the Spirit that we've inherited through Christ. It simply is the level of depth with the Father and the Spirit that we inherited through Christ. And I think for some of us, maybe there's stuff in the way, but there's a deep longing to go back to that place with God, to be in that place of deep worship where the spirit and the truth dwells and it changes you. And yet often, just like this woman, yeah, we need to go a bit on that journey to go to that place. So what is her journey? Okay, There are some roadblocks that she faces when Jesus calls her to go deep with him and we're going to look what they look like. So let's look a bit at the story. So we know it's, it's noon yeah, and it's by Jacob's well and this Samaritan comes to draw water at the well. yeah. And actually no one really drew water at midday. yeah. People went in the evening. That was just not normal. So we get a bit of a sense that this lady is sort of avoiding a bit of her community, that she's a bit of an outcast. She's going at midday because she doesn't want to go when everyone else goes. And then Jesus asks her to draw water for him. So she's a bit surprised because she's like, oh, but he's a Jew. And the Jews, they hated the Samaritans. Just basically like touching the jar that she touched would make him ceremonially unclean. She would make him dirty just by passing the jar. Yeah. And on the top of that, he's a respectful man, speaking quite kindly to her. Well, she's someone who's seen in her community as extremely unrespectable, immoral. Okay. And so this man who is kind and respectable, who is a Jew, talks to her and she's a bit surprised. She, she doesn't quite know what to do with it. 
and Jesus tries to reach her, he nudges her in the, in the right direction, and he speaks about living water and the gift of God, now being thirsty again. And she sort of touches a little bit on, on, on her own faith. She mentions Jacob's wells, talks about the fathers and the history there, but still she doesn't quite get it. And maybe she's not really liking where the conversation is going. Yeah? I don't know if you've ever been in this type of conversation where someone is trying to really get you to open up on something you really don't want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And it's sort of nudging, and you're just like, no, this is, I don't want to talk about it. For me, it's usually so brief. Oh, we've just met. But, so you, you studied physio, and you worked as a physio, and then, and then you did some charity, and, and then you did performing arts, and, and now you're working for church. Oh, that's a, that's a, what, 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 what's, how, what's happened here? And I'm like, I've just met you. I really don't want to share the whole journey of pain and aches that this was. <laughs> so you go, yeah, but you know, I really enjoy what I'm doing now. And what about you? What are you doing in your life? Tell me more. I want to know. So that's what we do. We sometimes divert the conversation to something a bit more comfortable because we don't want to go there because it feels uncomfortable. So Jesus speaks to her about eternal life. And she basically goes, uh, eternal what? No, living water. And she's like, mm, I could deal with that living water. Pretty practical. Don't have to go back to the, to the well. That would take off one tick on my list. So much spare time. I could maybe bake some unleavened bread. I'm guessing that's what you do in biblical time when you have spare time. So and she's like, yeah, that, that, maybe that could work. And this is a, a comfortable conversation. And at this point, Jesus says to her, Go call your husband and come back. Ah, the bomb, yeah? I, I have no husband, she replies. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So why does Jesus do that? Yeah? Is he trying to embarrass her? Show her the, the things she doesn't want to show? No, he's... He's becoming personal. He tries to reach her on a personal level. He acknowledges that situation in her life. He says, I know. You know, I know what has happened to you, and I know your life, and I know you. And at that point, she can't deny that there's something real about God with this man. Yeah? Don't really know what it looks like, but there's something real. She says, I can see your prophet. Yeah, I can see. And um, quite a detective she is. <laughs> I, can, I can see there's something there. Hmm? Because she can see that he knows. That somehow he knows what has happened in her life. And he knows her. So what, what are the roadblocks that she faces in, when Jesus calls her to go deeper? One of it is there's a fear of exposure. And there's a feeling of inadequacy because of that big situation in her life. Yeah. There's an aspect of, I don't want to show this, I don't want to go there, and who am I to even draw close to God when there's this in my life? And I think just like her, we may have stuff in our lives, you know, stuff that somehow feel a bit unpresentable in our context, and that can be also in our Christian context. And for her, it was going through those five divorces, and living with an unmarried man, and yeah, maybe there's some, there's some sin there, but there's also a massive moral stigma at the time, yeah? 
But for us, that can be a range of things. You know, it can be sin. You know, it can especially those sins that we feel more ashamed or feel somehow more morally wrong. As usually, sexual sins do that. But it can also be other things in our life that are not particularly sin, but culturally are stigmatized, even maybe a bit in our Christian setting. Things like, I'm having doubts in my faith. There's a really, a really good Christian band called Gangor, and I read this interview, and it was sad. These guys had doubts about their faith, and somehow they could not, they, they found that there was no platform to discuss those doubts in their church, and they grew deeper and deeper, and they walked away from God and from church. Or it can be feeling like you're not coping emotionally. We don't like to say, I need help, I'm, not, I'm actually not coping. Or marital troubles, or mental health stuff, you know. Christians are not immune to having depression or anxiety or other stuff. And somehow, th- these can be things that we perceive, even if they're not, as some sort of sign of weakness, maybe, maybe weakness in our faith or weakness in, our, in ourselves, that somehow if you're a Christian, well, you have hope in God, so how can you feel low? Or if you're a Christian, you've met God, and how can you have doubts? Or how can you not cope emotionally when he's obviously enough? Yeah? But the thing is, none of us, none of us are immune to those things. We all experience trouble. We all experience temptations. And this can range from a whole range of stuff. And, and God knows that. He knows. He, he knew for this woman. He knew the trouble that she was facing and where that led her. And he knows it for us. In, in John 16, it says, in this world, you will have trouble. God knows. He knows. So what's important to see here is that Jesus addresses first what she believes about this situation rather than dealing with the sin itself. He addresses what she fears about it, what she believes about it, what this situation means to her rather than the sin itself. And in many other places in the New Testament, Jesus calls to repentance really directly. Repent and the kingdom will be yours, all those things. But in this moment, he, he doesn't. And don't mishear me there, here. I'm not saying sin doesn't matter and it's okay. Sin in your, it's, it's not a big deal. No, sin is, is dangerous and is destructive. And we ought to bring it to God and be wise in how we deal with it because there's a danger that you get trapped in it. Yeah. But in this particular moment, Jesus looks at what she believes and what she fears about this situation rather than call her to repentance. And it does that because it's the fear of being exposed in her vulnerability and that feeling of inadequacy. Who am I to come close to God when there's this and this in my life? That makes her feel she can't come close to God. That's what is blocking her from drawing close to God. And we, we, we all fear exposure at times. Don't we? If we're honest. No one is that secure. I don't buy it. <laughs> we do all fear to be exposed in our moments of vulnerability. And we fear that those vulnerabilities are going to be something that define us. That people are going to see it that way. You've got a word that is so unhelpful in England. In English is needy. She's the needy one. 
So in, Fr in French, we don't really have a word for needy. We say someone is in need. But needy, it qualifies the person. It becomes something about them, yeah? It's an adjective that qualifies a noun. It, it's not that person has got that need. No, it's they're that person who is needy. It's who they are. And that is so unhelpful. You should all learn French. That's what that's me telling me. <laughs> and sometimes, that's what we fear. We fear that we're going to be defined by our moments of weaknesses. And we may fear judgment and condemnation from others, but also from God. And that makes that when you come to church, or when you're in your quiet times, or you want to stay on a comfortable level. Because sometimes going a little bit deeper and drawing closer to, to Jesus, when things are a bit more true and there's the spirit and then the truth and there's your father, things become a bit too real and it's uncomfortable. But for her, there's also a sense of who am I to draw close when there's this situation in my life? A sense of feeling of inadequacy. A few months ago, I was down to lead worship at church here and... Um, in the morning, I woke up, and Ruben, our son, who was a toddler, was there. And he, I don't know if he was in a bad mood or I was in a bad mood, but it didn't go well. <laughs> and he kept pushing my buttons, and I was like, Ruben, stop. And I got angry, and I raised my voice, and I put him in his cot, closed the door. <laughs> Not for very long, but just for him to have his time, and me to have my time. <laughs> and I remember feeling like, oh, this was so not the godly response and the best parenting moment of my life. <laughs> Not the most presentable moment of my life. <laughs> um, I was feeling like, okay, I'm going to say sorry to God, I'm going to say sorry to Reuben, and, you know. And I'm here at church, I'm like, welcome everyone, we're going to have this wonderful time of worship. <laughs> and inside I'm feeling like, oh, I'm such a horrible person, I'm a horrible mother, they think I'm good, but I'm horrible. <laughs> and, and you do, you feel unpresentable, you feel like this sense of iniquity while I had said sorry, and I know that God forgives me. And we think, who am I to do this for God or that when there's this thing in my life? It makes us disqualify ourselves and distracts us from drawing close. But what I think is so important to see is that those things, fear of exposure, inadequacy, they're based on a lie. They're based on the lie that somehow we can make ourselves presentable before God and before others. That, and that when we fail to do so, we become bad ourselves and that we feel like we have no place coming close to God. Jesus says to this woman, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus speaks about the time is coming, the hour, yeah, sounds a bit dramatic, doesn't it? But he speaks about Jesus' death. Basically, he speaks about the cross. And it speaks about what God, what Jesus is going to accomplish on the cross. So when you understand, when you understand that, then you realize that Jesus is telling her, believe me, a time is coming 
when I will die and I will take all the cost and all the weight and all the shame that is linked to this scene and that situation in your life and all those things that makes you feel like you're unpresentable and I will make you presentable before your father so that you can worship your father so that you can be in that place of depth with the spirit and the truth. He's, he's calling her to draw near to Jesus because in Jesus, he's taken it all and there's no place for fear of exposure because there's nothing to expose. To expose. And in the Father, there is no sense of inadequacy because you're his child, he's your father, you don't feel inadequate. Can you see that this, the very place where she needs to go is the very place that she tries to avoid? The place where fear and inadequacy linked with our sin and our stuff is dismantled, is in a place of intimacy with Jesus where we know he has taken our sin and there's no place for fear and of worship with the Father when we know we are his child. Really powerful. But when we look at this passage, we also get a sense um, and we look at you know the, this woman's life, we also get a sense that there has been Disappointment in her life. Yeah? So that second root block that we look at is actually resignation in disappointment. There has been disappointment in her life. One marriage went wrong, then another marriage went wrong, and another. And then she gets to the point where she's not even marrying the man that she's with. And at this time, this is not something people do, okay? Family was a massive measure of success. That was what um, the, the, the system of society was built on. Family units. It, you didn't just live with a man. That was a, that was a really big deal. She would have had to be in a really dark place to do something like that. And you probably think, it, to be in that, that place, she must have thought, how did I end up here in my life? Yeah, I tried to do what seemed right, you know, I tried to pick the right guy, I tried to do what seemed right, and yet one thing went wrong and another thing went wrong and somehow I'm in this situation that I would have never wanted or never imagined to find myself into. And you can start to lose hope, don't you? You can start to hope that anything good can even be, even be ahead and you start to accept. Maybe this is my lot, yeah? Maybe this is just my lot, that's my level, that's just what life is going to be like for me. Rather than keep hoping for goodness ahead. Because sometimes it, it hurts more to hope and be disappointed than to accept and resign in one's condition. And we see that in this woman there's a sense of resignation, isn't there? In disappointment. We know that she's not even married with this man anymore, she goes to the well at noon, because she's accepted, I'm an outcast, that's who I am. There's no point even trying to go in the evening. I'm going to put some sun cream and I'm going to go. Yeah? 
when Jesus dropped the hint about the gift of life and the living water, we know that she avoids a bit the conversation going there. But she's also not like, oh man, this, this guy is nice and he's a respectful man. Or maybe, maybe he's going to give me a chance. Maybe he could help me for my situation because she's quite in a dire situation. Maybe he's going to help me. You know, maybe this, that's, that's how things are going to get better for me. Maybe that's my chance. No, there's not that thirst anymore there for resolution and, and for hope of change. And why is that? Why, why does she not do that? Because with resignation comes complacency. When you have been disappointed and it's happened over and over again, that you've just got to that place of acceptance, this is it for me. That's just how it's going to go. You become complacent. You lose your sense of, God is going to turn up for me. I know God loves me and he's going to turn up for me. You lose that sense. Your attitude towards God becomes like, it says in Zephaniah, where it says, those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. He will just do nothing. So what's even the point of me trying to draw close to him when he's not going to do anything about my situation? And this sense of disappointment can happen in so many areas of life. Okay? It can happen with illnesses. This illness has happened in my life, and then this illness, and I kept coming to God for healing, and he's not healed me. And how does that, how does that work? Nothing has happened. Or... I had this dream career and I thought God had spoken this of my career and I got one rubbish job after another and somehow I feel like God has not opened ever a door for me on that. Or I always wanted a family and, and that came from a good godly desire but somehow I'm single and I know the Bible promotes singleness but if I'm really honest I never truly wanted to be in that place. And I pray and it looks like God is doing nothing. And that can happen in so many different areas of our life. And the issue with that is that it can lead us to a sense of, of disappointment with God, God himself. And you get to that place where you're coming to church and there's a lack of expectation of God moving. Um, there's a passivity that settles in. And you start doing things out of habits. Yeah? Or because deep inside you remember those times of deep worship and, and you know it's the right thing, but your heart is not really in it. When Jesus acknowledges the situation in her life, he also acknowledges her disappointment that she's faced. He doesn't say, it doesn't matter, it's not there, I'm going to take, you, take it all away, here's the perfect husband. No, he... And in the same way, Jesus knows what we face in our lives. He does. He sees the situation. He doesn't overlook us or forget us. And even if, we may not, if he may not always take those situations away, he knows and he sees and it's not overlooked. And what Jesus does in this passage is that he says to the woman, believe me, the time has come where true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
he invite, he, through that, he invites us to a place of worship and intimacy with the Father. Because it's in that place of intimacy with the Father where you know, I am, I am his child, he is my Father, that the Spirit dwells, that the truth dwells, and that is a powerful place because the Spirit will touch your heart. It will make your heart sensitive to the truth that you cannot hear. John Piper gives this example, which is, yeah, it's good, and I think it's helpful. It's a bit like your taste buds being made sensitive so that you can really taste the goodness of what you're eating. The Spirit will soften your heart and touch your heart so that the truth that you can't quite hear, you can hear it. It pierces through. And that is a really powerful place to be because it will change you, it will make you more like Him, it will restore you, and it will give you hope. And it will give you contentment. So that those disappointments don't start to shape your character, shape who you are, start to harden your heart. Tim Keller says, Tim Keller is like an um, American theologian, theologist, theologian, theologian, that's the one. Um, and he says something that I found really powerful. He says, worship humanizes you. And in other words, he's saying, it's in that place of deep worship of our Father spirit and in truth, that we understand the wholeness of our identity in Christ. The wholeness of what it means to be a son of God, a daughter of God. So that whatever happens in our lives does not turn us into something or someone that we were not made to be. And once again, what we see is that the very place she will find restoration so that those disappointments of life don't become part of herself, don't shape her character, is the very place she has become complacent about. The very place she needs to run to. I'm going to skip my last point, but... Um, <clears throat> When I was preparing for this, and over the last month, when we've been doing this series on worship, um, I felt God speaking quite powerful, powerfully to me around Martha and Mary. You know that story in the Bible, where Martha, when Jesus comes to the house and Martha keeps working, and Mary sits at Jesus' feet. And for me, it really spoke about, you need to sit back at Jesus' feet. You need to sit at Jesus' feet. You know serving is the right thing to do and this and that, but you need to go back to that place of intimacy with Jesus because that's where it starts. That's where you worship the Father. That's where the Spirit and the truth dwells so that those truth penetrates your heart. It's at the feet of Jesus. And when I was preparing, Matt Renman spoke a bit about that actually on his journey. And he said something really good. He said, we are called to be more than servants. Servant is a part of worship and it's really important and we don't disvalue it. But we are called to be more than servants. We're called to be sons and daughters of God. Yeah? And that means sitting at Jesus' feet. And, and that serving doesn't become everything. 
because it's not everything. So we're going to have a time of, of worship now. And my only encouragement is that you would draw near to Jesus. And whatever comes along the way, because it may be different from, than from this lady, you know, that you would bring it to Jesus because that's the place where you find restoration, where you find truth, when you find revelation. Okay. I'm just going to pray and then the band is going to play. Yeah, God, I, I thank you that you are a powerful God. You are a good father who loves his children and you've made a way for us through Christ to be able to come, God, so that the stuff in our lives doesn't become a barrier to being that place of intimacy with you, our Father, Lord. And Lord, as we worship, we pray for your spirit and your truth to guide us, to touch parts of our hearts that, that we can't touch, God. And Lord, I pray that we would come out of this morning feeling restored, um, finding hope that we had maybe lost, finding healing, and finding love for who you are once again. listen to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.